Welcome back to a very special episode of Star Trek Jejurations. Um, As you heard last week, I skipped, well, I actually skipped quite a few of our uh, episodes in that chunk. One, because uh, I had already done it uh, in season one. Um, We're skipping Threshold, of course. Um, But also, I wanted to skip... Uh, this episode, because I connected with someone at the Las Vegas convention, who I'm pretty I'm pretty confident in saying is the number one Star Trek Voyager fan, based on our uh, brief interaction. He is associated with the Delta Flyers, which of course is Robert Duncan McNeil and Garrett uh, Wang's podcast. He uh, also showed me a picture of. The uh, actual couch from Janeway's ready room that he owns. So I am pretty much like I feel very confident in saying we have a true expert on the podcast today. So, ladies and gentlemen, to tackle the episode, his choice, Cold Fire, please welcome Captain Jeremiah Brown of the USS Voyager. Thank you, Jack. It's a pleasure to be here. I remember, so I had a great time in Vegas. Did you? Did you enjoy the con? Oh, always. It's, it's, it, I go, I've been going every year since 2016. Um, okay. With the exception of the pandemic year. Um, first time I went, went with uh, a no longer friend of mine and had a mediocre experience just because of BS going on in there. Right. Went back the next year by myself, connected with so many amazing, wonderful people that have yeah. become my Trek family. Yes. Who are the most important people in my life. And I'm so glad that I not only got to meet you and Sean both this year, mm. but I am able to include you in that Trek family now. Oh, well, thank you very much. I include you as well. I, I would tell everybody, whenever I went, so I went to the, the Gays in Space had like a gay event after each night. And I I said to people back here, I was like, I have never been in a room full of gay people where everyone was so fucking nice. Right. Right, because like, I don't normally like I like like my best friend here in, at home, yeah, hundred percent straight, right, 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 but loves to go to the gay bars, and always trying to get me to go, and I'm like, no, not doing right. it, not my thing, and then he's like, but you hang out with all the gays in Star Trek, and I'm like, they're different gays, they are different gays, and I've even put a picture of me in my Starfleet uniform in my Tinder and Hinge because like. You gotta roll with it. Like I, I, I have to. I have to date somebody who's who at least, at the very least, has passing familiarity or like watched it as a kid at the very least. Because it's just a different kind of person. A different. There's. A, it's a different kind of person who loves and appreciates Star Trek, and that's the kind of person. I want to exactly. Be I've done similar with mine. My screen name. If you have to ask me about it, we're not right. Much. Right. Um. Well, why don't you tell me well a, a little bit about your like. The fact that you you regu- like we were just in conversation before we started recording, and you're like, "Oh, well, Kate told me this," as in Kate fucking Mulgrew. So, how did you get embedded with the Voyager cast, which it seems that you have? So, um, it all started um, me getting out of my extremely introverted shell. Um, started my first con ever was 2014, 2015. When Next Gen did their big reunion tour for all the cons. I saw that up in uh, New York. Yeah. Yeah. And I didn't know anything about it. Didn't know it even existed in my city. And I was in a um, resale toy comic book shop and I saw a flyer. The Next Generation cast is in town this weekend. I'm like, what the fuck? So I got on Craigslist, spent $600 for secondhand tickets to go to this sold out panel for the Next Gen cast. Mm -hmm. 
Um, William Shatner was the first person I ever met in Star Trek. Okay. Wonderful experience. Um, then Michael Dorn, Gates, and Marina. First mm -hmm. Trek actors I ever met. Next, flash forward to the next year, go to a shitty convention, horribly ran in Springfield, Missouri, where only the major DS9 secondary cast, uh, Tim Russ and Echep, were there. Who now follows Star Trek Generations on Twitter, by the way. He's the first cast member to follow me. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, we'll put a pin on that one. Yeah, we Maybe will. Maybe for another day. Uh-huh. Um, and and J.G. Hertzler and uh, Robert O'Reilly were there. And nobody showed up. Like, a handful of fans showed up. They had two vendors in this giant vendor room. And, of course, the actors were contractually obligated to be there for the duration. We all hung out at the hotel bar the whole time because there was nothing going on. The convention was a bust. Oh. But I got to know a lot of them. Uh, Aaron Eisenberg, rest, rest in peace. Oh, um, um, made a good connection with him and <laughs> Robert O'Reilly and J.G. Hertzler. Um, that was a, that's a conversation for another day. It's a great, great experience. And then Tim Russ, really my first Voyager. Okay. Then Kate comes out with her book, Born with Teeth. And I'm looking, she's doing a book tour and she is doing a at her hometown, which was a about a 12 hour drive from me. Mm -hmm. Couldn't get anybody to go with me. I was very much, I have to have somebody with me, have to have that safety net. I can't do it on my own. And I went alone. I just got my courage up, got in the car and I went. And I fucking met Kate in the parking lot of the hotel, getting out of my car and got a big hug from her and so happy that you made it and that you're here and walked into thunderous applause from the other Trekkies that actually got there earlier than I did that day. <laughs> and it just, it escalated from there. Met Garrett at a local convention and then first time at SGLV, he remembered me. We were talking, got introduced to some other folks um, started going to conventions more regularly, then got involved with the Delta Flyers and have really gotten to know a lot of them and can consider, I consider a couple of them actually pretty good friends in my personal life now. That's incredible. Yeah. I mean, I, I, all of the cast members from all of the series have always been wonderful and gracious. Um, Voyager for me, of course, is my Star Trek. Yep. Um, so I have a special affinity for that cast and you know, for anybody that's never gone wanting to meet these people, it's not about the characters. It's about relating to them as human beings and yeah. their real life interests and passions outside of Star Trek. Once right. you establish that, then you can nerd out. Right, exactly. Yeah, they're people. You have to don't treat them as, as idols or as their characters. Treat them as human beings. And then you'll be able to say you pal around with, I don't know, for me, it would be Gates McFadden, who, who strikes me as... Um, and I say this with all kindness because it is what she was doing on stage, and I don't feel any sort of way, but I want to preface this. Based on all of the comments she made, she seems real horny. Oh, oh, like totally. Like, real horny. Yeah, she's got the ponfire. Everything was a, was a sex joke with her. Sex joke, sex joke, sex joke. I was like, wow, Gates is horny. She needs that candle. Oh, yes, she Need. does. She walked out with one. Yes, Yes. That was hilarious. Oh, I made Gates turn table. beet red. She didn't have anybody at her table. Um, I had stopped and got the um, Howard family candle action figure from my friend Randy, who's with <laughs> Lambda Quadrant, was just walking past that section of the con, and Gates is just sitting there by herself. I'm like, oh, I'm getting it signed. It's the last day. Yeah. I don't have anything else I'm going to spend my money on. So I went and talked to her for a while because she was all just doing nothing. 
Um, so she signed it, you know, Ronin on the bubble and then Gates <laughs> on the top and I really liked the candle. And then I we got to talking and I showed her a deep fake I did where I had replaced my face with Crusher and Troy's uh -huh. in this tin forward scene from Sub Rosa when she's telling her about right. her erotic dreams. Right, 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 right. And Gates takes my phone and would not stop, watched the full length video and laughing her ass off. Oh, that's I'm like, this is the best validation I could ever have. That's great. For any of my content, which I, I fortunately have not, don't have enough of it yet, but I'm like, that alone, that alone was right up there. So for today's episode, we saved, and so we talked, because uh, I knew that you were, it was funny, because I think we met, because like, you had listened to the podcast already, and then you were like, wait, you're Jack Tracy, and it was like, am I getting recognized at this convention? I think well, you, know, it, right. it, you know, because I was talking to Sean, right, and then you were there, and you had said something, and I, you know, we were talking, and I was like, oh, what's your name? And you're like, Jack, and I was like, Jack Tracy? And you're like, yes, and I was just like, holy shit, this is awesome! So we, you know, when we talked then later on Instagram about like doing or Twitter about doing an episode together to review one, and I told you to pick your favorite or pick the one you want to do, um, season one through three, and you picked Cold Fire. Why? I, I picked it because I saw some opportunity for change in the episode. Mm -hmm. um, asking me to look at a Voyager episode with a critical eye and and be mean to it. Um, you are not mean. No, 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 not mean. But, you know, for me to have, for me to be mean as in taking it apart <laughs> to right. judge it as other than, oh my God, it's Voyager, it's perfection, unless it's, you know, the thaw. Um, oh, I was going to say 1159. I suffered through that the other day. Oh, I would rather watch 1159 for <laughs> eternity than ever watch the thaw again. Um, so I picked Cold Fire because I like the episode. But I also can see there's also many areas for improvement in it as well. Right. So that's why I chose it. I thought it would be a fun one to do. Uh, a, a Kess episode, I believe we could say, is pretty much strongly a Kess episode, which there aren't many, of course, involving her telepathic powers, because when they didn't know what to do with Kess, they decided to just make her Troy until they finally gave her the curly hair and V-neck velour suit by the end. And, just... and she was Troy, yeah. And you were, and the transformation was complete. Now, I have to say that if I, if we hadn't spoken, and I was doing this chunk of episodes, and I was picking the ones to judge, I don't know if I would have picked this one in, when in a lineup with the other ones, only because while I, my biggest issue with the episode is actually not the episode itself, like picking apart the beats, but in the fact that the, the fact that the return of the caretaker's mate was such a throwaway episode that was never addressed again. It was. And after we talked earlier in this week, I was like, yeah, we're going to agree on this. And I'm curious yes. to see what changes were both, how, how our changes are going to align. So I will, I will hold off because I have a lot to say on this. So I will hold off. So why don't you, what about the episode Cold Fire, which we're not going to recap it because if you're listening to this podcast, you know these episodes. This is basically the one where uh, the, the the caretaker rock starts screaming in sickbay and they're like, oh, it's a homing beacon for who we learned later to be Suspira, Suspiria, who is the caretaker's mate that we heard. We, we even get our um, uh, 10 months ago on Star Trek Voyager and they give us like quick clips of caretaker so we understand what happened. Uh, and we find that some of the Ocampa, I guess, like 300 years ago, we like the number 300, hundreds of years ago, uh, 
It was 300 because it was 300 with the 37s as well. Three, uh, 300 people with the 37s. Anyway, um, 300 years ago, they pulled um, they pulled some of the Ocampa away from Ocampa so that they could, you know, develop their telepathic powers. Um, and Suspiria took care of them on this array the way that Caretaker took care of uh, the ones, the underground accompanies. Uh, and we learned that they can live a little longer and they're fully in control of their telepathic powers and telekinesis. And the lead creepy guy who ends up playing, uh, is it Soval on Enterprise? Mm-hmm. Soval, yep. Uh, he uh, tries to seduce Kess to come with and to stay and look, I can give you so much in terms of your powers. Her powers get out of control. She burns Tuvok's face off. She kills all the plants, and uh, basically you find that Suspiria, Suspiria wants to destroy Voyager for killing her husband in a very um, Jack and the Giant Beanstalk Giant's Wife kind of way, and um, uh, so she comes to to kill them, and they show her mercy, and then she leaves, and then the end question mark? Right. So that's basically what happened. So what about this episode, Captain Jeremiah, do you like would keep think it works and you wouldn't touch um, i like the i, I like the um cast central story mm-hmm. uh and a little bit more development of her character and as far as her powers go it was a very interesting concept which they failed horribly at developing her um i think the storyline between her and the array okampa was a great story and should have been an a story all by itself um, as where I also think that the concept of the female caretaker was also a good story, but neither story was served well with each other. Right. Um, they tried too hard to be a horror episode at times. And isn't there a horror movie called Suspiria? Yes, there is actually. It's like a 1970s dance movie. And didn't they redo it recently? I think they re they like remade. I'm not a horror person, so I don't know. But the name stuck to me. I was like, wait a minute. Is yeah, no, because I-, I see it all the time on my TV. I'm scrolling. I don't know what app it's on. And I see it, and I'm like, I don't want to watch a movie about the female caretaker. And so I just <laughs> keep going. Um, I thought the science behind the episode was brilliant, and I think keeping the tracking of the caretaker life signs in conjunction with as a B story with the Ocampa mm. as a as the A story. And leaving out the female caretaker would have been a much better episode. Mm. And leading up to the reveal of the female caretaker later on, start dropping hints now, I think would have been better. I almost felt that when this was written, because she just leaves, just sort of like, oh, you spared my life. Interesting. I'm leaving. I thought that was setting up for her like, She'll come back a little bit later. Maybe she'll help with something. And just sort of the idea of being through the seasons, she would interact with them here and there until, honestly, the finale where she sends them the fuck home um, is what well, I was she expecting. They might have been. Well, I thought maybe they were trying to set that up, but they really just like never touch it again. No, they didn't. And the one thing that bothered me about it a lot was they kept insisting that she would have the ability to get them home. But when you look at it critically, the caretaker himself had that technology because he was searching for a mate to continue his work. She's not doing that. So what's to assume that she's going to have the same type of technology 
in order to send the crew home. And, and that's even a good episode because they did that well in like, you know, um, was it Eye of the Needle where it's like, oh, we could, but we can't. Like the the, the sort of like, oh, we think, we think, or uh, Hope and Fear. Like there were so many episodes where like the carrot was dangled only, you know, or only to be pulled. Or even um, the one with the Ferengi come back. Uh, with the Barzan wormhole, there were so many instances where it's like we were so close, but we it could have been one of those, but it really was just like, uh, uh, bye, <laughs> right? And you can actually, if you fast forward to season six in the Voyager conspiracy, um, that catapult they encountered was powered by a Tetrion reactor, which seven con- concluded was from the caretaker's array, right? Instead of going through that rabbit hole back to the beginning. It was there was missed opportunity for that technology to have actually come from Suspiria and not the caretaker himself. Right. She could have reoccurred at that point. All right. So what about the episode are you control alt deleting? Like what are we what are we uh, highlight and backspace? I'm uh, gonna control alt delete the entire female caretaker plot. Wow. Yes. Okay. Um, I w- I'm going to leave the everything with the Sporocystian life signs mm-hmm. and the reaction to the caretaker's remains mm-hmm. and the Ocampus story. Mm-hmm. I want um, that to be the B-plot. I want to keep the them using it as a compass. And I'm going to tie it into a little bit of a season arc here. And it was a missed opportunity for Jonas to have contacted Seska. Oh, you said the magic word, Seska. Yes. More you know, Seska. More Seska. He's in engineering, of course. They're doing this with the remains. Right. Send a message to Seska. Hey, we're tracking the female caretaker. Seska would be interested in that. Yes, she would. For if she wanted to get home herself or if she wanted to seize that technology to start bringing Cardassian reinforcements into the quadrant for expansion. Ooh, like all of this. Yes. Like all Seska of this. Seska could have really been set up as a big, big bad instead of being having the out like a wisp with a whisper ending that she had and and also well so later in the podcast once i finish this uh through season three because we're stopping when seven appears i'm going to do a special episode on what if kes didn't leave and a special episode on what if we actually did everything we could have done with seska and martha hackard who's incredible oh Mar- she's absolutely incredible i love her uh more. I wonder more. Put it. Put another. Put an, Put her as another alien. I wonder again. She, she for me sits up there with Michelle Forbes as one of the best. Oh yes. Like Star Trek B character. B character. I mean, just at all of them to rule all of the ones that she's played have been great. Oh yeah. Um. It's uh, a shame that as much as I love the character of Kira and love Nana. Yes. It's a shame that Michelle did not take the role onto DS Nine. I'm thankful for it because we got Kira because Kira oh, yeah. is one no, of my no. absolute yeah. favorite characters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I love Kira. I absolutely um, love her. Now in the books, the non yes, oh, books. Yeah, so I know. Yeah, she takes over for Odo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very cool. Very cool. So, well, and the thing is, if she couldn't get on Deep Space Nine, there could have been an incredible amount of overlap with her for Voyager, and they could show that she was like part of the Maquis cell that Chakotay and Blana and Seska were in, and you could have had flashback episodes, and you could have had all sorts of shit with her. You, you really could have, because instead of, uh, what, Sveta was the one who recruited Chakotay, who we never saw, it was just a right, name right, drop right, several right, times. Right. What if uh, Ro had been the one who recruited Chakotay into the Maquis? Because they were both Starfleet. Yeah. 
it would make sense. Also, uh, and then we got to get back to this episode, but you and, you and I are nerding out. Uh, also, what if, because we never learned who Seska really was as a Cardassian, what if she was Ileana Gamora? Oh, fuck. Wouldn't that have been so, and then she could be flashbacks on D-Space Nine. Yeah, that would have been, but what if she was, though? What if she was Ileana Gamora? I mean, she could have been. We never heard what her Cardassian name was. No. Maybe we, maybe we can save that for the, um, the DS9 movie that we never got. Right. Which, uh, actually, we need to talk about that later because I, I found a way to bring Terry Farrell back as Dax without bringing her back to life. I thought it was very sad. She got very, well, once, an asshole. Did, were you there for her panel? Mm-hmm. Uh, the asshole who asked her about her recently divorced ex-husband and then she started to cry. That was really fucking rude and then when she got upset about basically that she hadn't seen avery since they wrapped and she was very upset about that it was was very sad people that ask questions like that at a con and do things like that they don't belong there no and and i think i saw a clip of someone asking kate about jennifer Mm -hmm. and it's it's not it's not a subject you talk about it's just it's not her place Right. There's, I won't, I won't say who there is one of the Voyager actors who I've had a discussion about Jennifer Mm -hmm. with. Yeah. And it, it's heartbreaking. Yeah. And they, they were open with me and it's nothing I will ever repeat because it's just not for consumption. Um, But it really is heartbreaking. And I, I just want people to know that that's a human being. Yeah. And they don't know her backstory and they really shouldn't judge. Right. Right. We should just wish her the best and hope that things improve for her. So, okay, so you're keeping the entire story, the entire Kess story, Kess. And so does this become one of those, like, do I stay, do I leave episodes? It does. Um, and I really liked the duality between her and Tannis and the almost erotic seduction going on in the Arconics Bay. Mm-hmm. Um, it was really, really leading up to something. And in, I think it was cut too short. I think that seduction should have actually come earlier mm-hmm. in the episode um, and not to copy next gen, um, but, um, you know, man of the people. When yes. That's what Roy, exactly what I was thinking. Yeah. When exactly. she's um, taken over, you know, as similar to that, but not the draining of her type powers, yeah. but more of a, an actual enticement right. and getting yeah. that um, attraction built into Kess to where she is really, I want her to see the world with blinders on and mm-hmm. not realize what she is doing is a betrayal to the Voyager crew and potentially right. putting them in damage. I want that to build through the episode and the continual um, dangling of the carrot from Tannis. And that could have repercussions and, and be a nice justification. I mean, it was fine, but like that could also just be a great precursor for her decision in the gift. It could, and it could also then be tied back into Fury. Right. When, you know, okay, so she admitted that she was too different to return to Ocampa, so she could have returned to the Ocampa array. Right. I, I will, Fury is, Fury's on the list. I was, yeah, we'll, I, go, we'll do that one later. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I also think that, it, that, that seduction from Tannis could have also killed off the Neelix and Cass relationship a lot sooner than it happened which it should have been. And it's not the, I don't say that because, oh, it's gross because she's two years old and he's a different age because the species don't work that way. I say that. It's gross. Yeah, it is gross. But I also, you know, realize it is gross, but at the same time, she's not really a child because she's an adult by her species development process. When did they meet? She was less than a year old. 
so she was a child when they met uh-huh. and that's where it gets icky uh-huh yeah yeah so i i do want it to end i do yeah. i just i don't i like them together as friends they shared a trauma he helped rescue her that was great my je, my je, as you may have heard, was to make it a mentor mentee, almost like looks at her as uh, the way he like as a surrogate for his sister. Yes, and it also would have made more sense with his relationship with Naomi had he developed a relationship like that with Tess first. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Because it just kind of came out of nowhere. Suddenly, Neelix is a model parent and a great role model. Great. I love Neelix. I'm all for him. Yeah. Um, but that would have been better character development on the back end. I love Neelix after he's done being a jealous, controlling prick. After that, then his character gets better. They needed to dump dump all of that. All right. So, how d- does the episode end any differently? Are there any other? The episode other does end does end differently. Um, I with I want the fire want there to be a good firefight between the Ocampa and Voyager. Okay. Want there to be some stakes um, that they had Voyager had to fight their way out of this situation in order to save Kess. So if the Okampa are not in your episode luring them for Suspiro, what's their like what's their um what's their motivation? What do they want? Why are they gonna fight with Voyager? They want Kess. They don't like the fact that Kess is on an alien spacecraft. They, right. uh, she is their people. And if she's left the homeworld, in their minds, she must be with them. However, right. they are using the Suspiria as the carrot, but we're not going to ever see Suspiria. Right. Okay. But they're still going to help, you know, well, you know, that, yeah, we know her, but they're never going to, yeah. I want that to build, I want that to be a season arc before we reveal Suspiria. Interesting. I want to leave her completely out of it, but dangle the carrot angle the carrot and where so is the seska aspect just jonas contacting to set up for later or does does she have a role in this um it would just be a brief you know right. calm you know just a you know 15 20 second cameo of he's in you know on the monitor she's on the monitor they have a brief exchange yeah and then that plant seeds for later appearances right you know voyager could you know start picking up k's on life's you know k's on um ships on the sensors you know shadows right here and there that not only build that up but then lead into the events that happen later in the season right it would be okay. earlier steps instead of just all of a sudden here the k's on our back start slowly introducing them but this is also looking at a nearly 30 year old episode mm-hmm. with modern episode structure and season arcs in mind right okay so here is how I would judge, which actually is very little with the episode and more with the follow-through and repercussions of the episode. So if you look at Next Generation, Next Generation started with Q and the Trial of Humanity. It ended with Q and the Trial of Humanity. If you look at Deep Space Nine, it started with you are the emissary, you are on a path, and it ended with the emissary completes his journey. Right. Voyager started with the caretaker uh, sucked us out here and we're stuck and ended with let's fight the Borg. Um, Because I think in some ways the writer's room kind of said, oh, Voyager is really like seven of nine's arrival till now. So they considered the bookend to be Borg, that Voyager is all about Borg, which 
Before rewatching, which I'm doing now, I kind of had that opinion, like, oh, Voyager overdid the Borg. And actually, not really. There aren't really that. I mean, I'm still getting in. Now, I'm getting into season six. When maybe it gets season six and season seven, maybe we get a little more. But so far, I'm not, like, overwhelmed by Borg. We do say the word nanoprobes every episode. But other than that, I'm not really overwhelmed by Borg at this point. And so I think... Voyager did a real disservice to the entire legacy of the show to not bookend it with the caretaker and it being the caretaker's wife that is some mate, sorry, that is somehow involved in them returning home. Still have the Borg. You can still have the Borg. But maybe, so for me, if we are judging, and we're, we're not doing my future judge, which is what if Kef stayed? So keep the Kef's leaves when she leaves and seven of nine joints and all of that. So have when the only addition to the episode I'm going to make, and sure I could cut little things here and there. And I do really like your Jonas Seska idea is that when, when it's all over and Kess is back in sick bay or something, we hear the caretaker thing kind of sizzle again, the rock. And we hear Suspiria call to Kess. And end of episode. Through her training with Tuvok now over the next two seasons, she is regularly visited by Suspiria. And it is Kess and her um, her love for and growing up with the Voyager crew that she is, through multiple episodes, explaining to Suspiria that, like, these are good people, that these are people who deserve to be taken home, that it's Kess who is advocating as as Suspiria is sort of like a, you know, you could be so much more and you could do this and you could, I'll take you back to, you know, the Ocampa. Like, it's this, like, um, you know, and, and exploring what, because we never understand truly why they care so much about the Ocampans. Like, I think didn't, didn't, um, it's been a while. Wasn't it that they did something to the home world and he feels guilty about it? He irradiated. Something with their scanning um, depleted the nuclear circles in the atmosphere, which causes caused rain in Star Trek right. canon. I don't know if that's real science or not. Right. Um, but because of whatever that did, de- prevented the planet from producing water and it became a desert. Right. So that was the death that could never be repaid. Oh, oh my goodness. So there's the whole, there's the story behind it. Okay. So you've got caretaker and caretaker's mate. They have basically both agreed that whatever they did fucked the Ocompans and they feel bad about it. Um, Caretaker was all about let me protect them in their home and Suspiria was all about fuck this rock, let's get out of here, right? So now getting Kess to make Suspiria understand the importance of home, right – leads to her understanding of why she should help Voyager get home, right? That could have been the whole thing. And through it, Kess is developing her powers more and more and more. Suspiria's kind of helping with that. So that by the time, so even if we don't bookend because we can say goodbye to all the Ocomp and caretaker stuff when Seven comes in and then we can be all about the Borg. But if, and then in the gift, if it's the gift of, Kess ascending and Suspiria, they together push Voyager past Borg space as the gift to to 
bookend to end that story of Kes developing her powers, joining Suspiria, Suspiria um, trying to write. And then you could have it that, you know, I can't send them all the way home. I'm not, I'm not as powerful as he was, or there's some reason why she can't do it, but she can at least do this. I'm going to throw and a wrench through. Okay. I, got a mon- Go I got a monkey wrench to throw in, throwing at you. Go ahead. Finish your, finish your statement. Well, that's right, and and, okay. and that's pretty much it. Yeah. So let's pull a classic Trek trope out of the bag, okay. and do a causal causality loop. In the gift, Kess ascends into a higher being and yep. evolves into Suspiria, and was Suspiria from the get go. Ooh. And that is the next phase of evolution for the Okampa people, oh. and her transition throws her backwards in time, and her and the caretaker are the ones who destroy the planet in the first place. Ooh, well, that then, then, then that just and not that I'm, I don't have a problem with this, but then that deletes uh, Fury. That does delete Fury, which is fine. Um, I like that. See, I I like things. You may have found that my judges always try to take an episode that didn't work or was weird and take tie it into the overall lore of the show and maybe that's the sensibility we have now because you know it's serialized storytelling and it's character arcs and all of that and back then i mean especially with deep space nine going on rick berman was kind of all about like bottle show bottle show bottle show you know i don't want anyone to have to know anything coming into the show it's just Uh, so stupid well honestly it was stupid for voyager because people say oh the time but it was stupid for Voyager specifically because Voyager, unlike the other two shows, was not sold into syndication. Right. It was a straight network. It was a network show. So and running concurrently with DS9. Right. And of course, we have Ira to thank for DS9 and right. saying, fuck you, Berman. I'm going to do serialized right. television. Right. And and Voyager was serialized to a point. To a point. Which you could say that about all of Star Trek. Yeah. That there was a, there's enough continuity for it to, there is a serialized thread through the entire franchise to an extent um but to say you know berman thinking that oh we're too stupid to understand if it is serialized is bullshit because all of us came into the franchise not knowing what the fuck was happening right and i came in i think i i think i started watching next gen like live like as it was airing probably somewhere in season five or six I only got to watch two episodes live of Next Gen. I have very specific memories of watching a couple. It's certainly the the series finale. I just have some weird, like, specific memories because it was on Saturday nights at, like, 8. Yeah, the, the time slots for DS9 and Next Gen made it impossible for me to watch because it, yeah. they aired on Sunday nights here through, through school weeks. Well, Deep Space Nine was, like, Saturday nights at 11. It was something weird. Yeah. They, they, they um, were always weird, but I always had a, you know, it's weird because I claimed that I was a Trekkie before I was born. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's just because Search for Spock came out the same year. Oh, wow. And what year is that? 84. Okay, I'm two years old. So fun, yeah, yeah. Fu- funny, how many, how many years? Two. Two. So funny story is my mom hated Taco Bell and Taco Bell did the Search for Spock actual glass glasses in 84. Oh, yeah. I have, they, I have, I have one. two full sets. I have two full sets that she got while pregnant with me. So I say I was a Trekkie before I was ever born. Uh, that's funny. See, my mom was a big fan of the original series, and she used to pretend to be Spock when she played with her toys in the backyard. Yeah, yeah. And she's the one that got me into Next Gen, 
And then that was it for me. I always had a knowledge of Trek. And it's funny because nobody in my family ever was into it. Yeah. Other than my grandfather who passed away right after I was born. Mm -hmm. um, but I always was aware of it. I always knew who Kirk, Spock, and McCoy was and what the Enterprise was. Yeah. And then, you know, I would see like the, traveled a lot when I was a kid. And I'd see the next gen pinball machine in arcades at truck stops. And would catch, you know, clips of next gen, at, yeah. you know, in the driver's lounge. And I was always, always aware of it. Right. And then Voyager came out and I got sucked in hardcore. Right. So it, it, we have learned that the for you, the worst episode is The Thaw. Oh, fucking clowns. And your, what, what would you say? Okay, I'm going to ask you two questions. Question one, and you can answer them any order you want. Question one is, um, what is your favorite episode of Voyager? And question two is, if you are introducing someone to Voyager for the first time, what episode are you showing them? Uh, episode for the first time would be um, Scorpions part one and two. Right. Yep. I think it's the best. I think it's absolutely the best. It sets up, it exposes you to a great Trek villain mm -hmm. that actually touches, at the time, three series. You know, even though we only saw them once in DS9, they had a tie to the, to the series. Um, it shows the Voyager cast as a whole mm -hmm. through both parts. Everybody gets something to do. Everybody is important. Um, it's great action. It's great sci-fi. And it's yep. a great moral story where the captain had to bend her moral compass for the betterment of her crew. Yep. I, and I, I think that those are the best two. And in fact, an ex of mine, that's exactly how I got him involved in, into watching when I get show someone next gen for the first time for very similar reasons, I show them and people are always like, wait, what? I show them disaster. Every single member of the crew has something to do. You get a full tour of the ship. It's an interesting moral quandary. And you also get O'Brien and Roe. So it's like, it's one of my absolute favorite episodes. And there's humor with, you know, Worf and K and you get Keiko. Like, oh, yeah. And, and that humor reverberates into DS9. Right. Um, you know, Keiko's going to have a baby. <laughs> <laughs> I did love that. You know, one quick question because I, before we go, because I am, I'm in the process of rewatching Voyager. I just watched Relativity last night, which is a great episode. Um, I am getting, so I'm getting close. I'm in the back end. Um, in Someone to Watch Over Me, how does the doctor know the mating rituals of 8472? Is I believe that is post um them encountering the starfleet it is but how do they know there were five mates cultural they... exchange oh they did you're right you're right i forgot they did that at the end you are right so my favorite voyager episode and oh, i'm yeah, just curious yeah, yeah, if yeah. you've ever heard this from anybody else right. my favorite voyager episode is the haunting of deck 12 i haven't gotten there yet so i haven't watched it since its initial run so i i, I have no opinion yet I love it because I'm a horror fan and it okay. is it is a horror episode done right without the Borg. Um, it's it's got good tension. It's got a good mm -hmm. mystery to it. And I love a good disaster episode. Yeah, as much as I love my Federation starships Voyager in particular, I also love seeing it decimated. I love seeing things blow up. I love seeing uh. the damage to the ship. And you've got action hero Janeway. Yeah, I mean. It just there's nothing better than action hero Janeway, other than more Janeway. And which is your um which is the worst holodeck? Is it uh Sandrine's or weird um Janeway is the Countess or Da Vinci? 
Um, the worst holographic program is Neelix's Paxil Resort. Really? I didn't yes. actually mind that one. I, it was boring. It, it, it was. was. It was the same marketplace set that they used repeatedly for Alien Worlds. Right. Um, there was, it was very badly redressed. Well, if, um, if we're going to go there, every cave is the same fucking cave. Oh, from next gen through the in, through yeah. Enterprise, it's the yeah. same fucking cave. Planet Hell, that set was used all the way through. Right. right. Um, but I hated the Paxil Resort. It was boring. It's like I, I'm, you're just watching people, you know, lounge around and relax. I don't want to watch people on a beach. I want to watch people playing. You know, I want to watch in a narrative. That's what the holodeck is for: is to play a hollow novel. See, for me, I, 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 I actually like the idea of the resort because it's like for that particular crew, like, and what they are away, they are like on a seventy-year journey to try to make it home. Maybe they just have one holodeck running that's just like, why don't we just all go to the beach? <laughs> like I mean, I'm I okay with that. that but let's mention it maybe not you know show it constantly because yeah. I think they showed that, hol that holodeck version really more times than any I think I always the image in my head of it is always the creepy luau girl trying to strangle Bellana with a with a flower like I always that's like the vision I have in my head every time I, I think of that one well we oh, see I the doctor being you know doctor's program malfunctioning him you know mutilating holograms yeah um we see um I think that's the same episode that's the same episode Just, yeah. yeah and they show no that's not the same episode not where he mutilates them um oh yeah no Belana getting attacked yes yeah, yeah. I was thinking about um um Harry and Tuvok's love interest attacking oh, god Oof. yeah um, and I think I think this just we spent maybe not so many episodes on it, but they reused that set so many times, and there were so many lengthy scenes on it. It got old quick, right? Okay. And you know, as weird as Janeway's little um, Victorian hollow novel was, I would have loved to see another episode where she got a hold of that little bastard and listen, you little shit. You know, just get him by the collar and pick him up. Right. slap him you know they're holograms just slap those little bastards <laughs> right you know maybe maybe you should co-host this with me because uh i gotta tell you so many of my so many of my judges involve uh violence towards children <laughs> <laughs> uh, well okay I'll, well i'll tell you after oh. we end the episode what happened last week oh, oh, oh wow okay um so to the uh detectives to the fbi who's currently listening to this um unfortunately we're not going to give you the rest of the evidence you need um Captain Jeremiah, please tell our judges where they can find you on the internet. You can find me on Twitter at Captain. Uh... <laughs> it's, just Captain it's just Captain Jeremiah on Twitter. Only there is a one in place of the H. And you can find me on TikTok at, at um, Captain Jeremiah Brown if you are into some Voyager stop motion parodies. And they're they're really great. Um, I of course you can. Subscribe on Patreon to watch the video of us doing this. Uh, that's patreon.com slash Star Trek Zhuzh, Z-H-U-Z-H. We still have some merch available in the merch store, which is linked in the Instagram bio, Star Trek Zhuzh. And uh, yeah, until next week, where I think I'm wrapping up season two. Um, enjoy your week, and thank you, Captain Jeremiah, for, uh, for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure.